0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is the 14th reason. This is Nick Brown, Frowny Brown from Frowny Brown Town. This is ladies from What Culture. This is El Diablo, El Dorado, El Dorito. And of course, this is Close to the Sun coming at you on Wednesday, the 26th of July, 2017. I'm one day late. Molly purse set, Molly purse represent. Got to represent, represent. Got to represent. Manscap, fuck a manscap. Manscap, fuck a manscap. Manscap, fuck a manscap. Manscap, fuck a manscap. <laughs> Okay, um this is a day late than what it should be coming out. I'm reporting to you on Wednesday. I usually put up Tuesdays, I apologize for that. Uh reason being, I guess, would be just because I got to you know, I didn't use my time management too well this week. Uh I had plans of getting somebody on. That kind of fell through. And I had about three things that I kinda of wanted to talk about. I just want you know, I wanna focus on kind of one major thing. And I thought I'd rather, you know, wait another day and put out a good show than, you know, put out a rush show on Tuesday and then it probably it probably sound rushed. And yeah, I don't want to do that. Um, What I will say before I get into things that starting from tomorrow, I'm going to be doing a uh, a music show every two weeks with a friend of mine, Nathan. Uh, That should be really cool. So tune in for tomorrow. Haven't thought of a title yet, but yeah, you know, it's going to be a different intro on that. You know, I've heard that my my two intros for my two shows are the same. So I've changed that up and put, yeah, a, a Rocky track on, I guess. But yeah, Um, so today I want to talk about something to do with kind of music and that just to tie in with this, that kind of announcement. I want to talk about the, um, I guess, the death of the big festival market that happened you know, a few years ago. Yeah, this is... um. It's crazy to think now in 2017 that five years ago, we had so many festivals running on the, in the one year. You had the, you had the big day out. You had Soundwave, Future Music, Stereosonic, Harvest, Pyramid, Homebake, like, and they are all gone. Not one of those festivals are still going. And, yeah, and then after that, I don't want to talk about the, uh, I guess, the rise of the New Age Festival you know, because it's, things have changed. And yeah, I think for the better, in, in, you know, looking back, even though I do miss a few of those festivals. But you yeah, know I guess the whole reasons why so many of them failed and especially so many of the big ones were that the cost of the cost of a, a traveling festival especially to major cities and especially like massive festivals like the ones I just said was so much you know it was something that was just unattainable and was um you know you couldn't do that forever unless you had sold out the show every year but yeah, I'm going to say this a few times throughout. Australian music fans are very fickle when, they, uh, when festivals come out. Yeah, um, in 2014, as I said, Pyramid, Harvest, Homebake were all cancelled. Yeah, it's a big thing. And um, like those were like mainstays, really. You know, in my opinion, they were just mainstay festivals. And I guess the first one I'm going to want to talk about is Big Day Out. Because Big Day Out kind of died. The first big, big festival to die out. Yeah, you know, like some of the, a lot of it was like riding on the wall kind of stuff. You know, in 2014, their last big day out, they lost $12 million because of the attendance of two thousand fourteen show. You know, um it wasn't helped by the fact that, you know, Blur, the band, uh, you know, pulled out basically the 11th hour, trying to, you know, pulled out for whatever reason and trying to kind of Yo, um, help out the fans, they booked, I think it was three acts, they booked Deftones, The Hives, and BDI, which are good acts in that, but Blur was you know, one of the big selling points. I haven't traveled to Australia in so long. And I guess that kind of goes back to a lot of it. On, when I look at festivals and that, I look at, I, call like, I guess I call it like the CBDV kind of formula. You got to go on the cost of the band, the billing of the band, the demand of the band, and any variables. So when I say that, yeah, you, know, you don't want to pay a shitload of money for an act that's going to be billed towards the bottom of the bill, of your lineup. You know, that's just not how things want to go. You want if you can get a cheap act that can bill your know, second line on your massive festival. That's huge. That's fantastic. But that goes on to your billing. You know, and that kind, those two tie in, and also the demand is a huge thing because if you look at a band, I'll take one for example now. Um, I'll go Twenty One Pilots just because. They played last year at Group of the Moo. They played this year at their own headliner. If they were be, to be announced for a festival, you know, for, uh, for next year, I think that it would really sh- they wouldn't sell as many tickets as what they want because, you know, their billing would be there still. Their cost would be pretty huge, but the demand is so low. And you know, like any variables, I guess when you when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about guys like you know Tyler the Creator couldn't get let in the country, and you know people, uh, I guess you know people who are known to be difficult to work with and you wouldn't want to put, you know, you don't want to take a risk of somebody pulling out if you if they have a history. And I think Big Day Out kind of lost sight of a lot of those things. Um, I think one of the things Big Day Out did was they catered to old crowds. They catered to you know people over the age of 30. And, you know, anyone who goes to a festival will tell you, like, the, I guess what you should be marketing at is between 18 and, you know, I guess 18.25 is your main market, but 18 to 30 is kind of your big bracket. You'll get 90%, I think, of your attendees attendance from those that age group. And if it's an all-age festival, then that, that opens it up, of course. But for some reason, they would put these acts on that, you know, people these days and people who are 18 wouldn't really be too interested in. You know, they had an act. They had Soundgarden in 1994 headlined The Big Day Out. 18 years later, in 2012, they headlined again. You know, it's just... You look at that and you go, "Well, like, how are you supposed to develop? How are you supposed to progress when you're still getting acts? You know, twenty years on, nearly. Yeah, you know, this is a festival that, at the height of it, at the height of the big day out, it was the biggest festival in the country. It was the must go to festival, it, and a lot of it. Sometimes it nearly got to a stage where a lot of festivals now get to that it didn't even matter about the lineup." One of the worst lineups in big day out history is 2010, which is the first one I actually went to, and which had Mews rise against and bands like that. But the pro, like, it had a pretty average lineup, really, but it was the best-selling big day out of all time. That was its peak. Four years later, it ran its last big day out in 2014. It just shows how quickly things could turn over and shows how if you don't keep up with the times, if you don't move them and you don't try and set new trends, I guess, then you are doomed for failure. Simple. Yeah, and like one thing that Big Dad did have, it had an identity. And that's something I will say a few times throughout because I think, you know, with the new age uh, festivals and that, they have proven that if you have an identity and you have something to go for besides the music, you will have more chance of succeeding. And that sounds weird, like, you know, music festivals should be all about the music and all that. And I agree, it should be. But it isn't, you know, it isn't like you don't want to go there. You don't want to go because I guess if it's all about the music and then the lineup comes out and it's not that good, you won't go. You need alternative reasons. Is it just the, the venue? Is it the location? Is it, you know, is it like, you know, is there fun activities to do? Is it just a good vibe kind of place? You know, a lot of these festivals didn't weren't like that. I know in Melbourne, when, you know, when they had to cage you off to fucking get a beer because you'd have to have, you'd have to be in these alcohol cages, basically. It wasn't a very friendly environment to go to. Yeah, and there was a lot of variables and, um, and a lot of things that went wrong, you know, um AJ Matter, a guy that his name might come up a few times today, was uh bought into bought into the Big Day Out to try and save it and, you know, basically died straight away. And you know, he, he got a bit too big for his boots and kind of tried to tried to overreach, I guess. You know, um a lot of it was to do with the competitive markets. You know, Soundwave came out and you know, Big Day Out changed from being kind of this rock alternative festival to a kind of everything festival, which is good in theory because you know you see you see festivals like now like uh, Splendor and Groovin and, and they have they have all sorts of genres but big day out never really figured out a correct formula into how to book a lineup. and it's weird that you know, a, a, a festival that went for 22 years or whatever couldn't figure out how to book a lineup. that's pretty crazy. yeah and like the death I guess of the big day out was I guess the, the first big warning sign. Yeah, and it kind of comes into a lot of the, a lot of talks and like you know the creative industry and that, like people want to see you do well. And I heard someone say this, I can't remember the name, so I won't, I can't really quote him. But yeah, people want to see you do well, but they don't want to see you do too well. If you rock up in a in a new, I don't know, um, Holden Commodore, nice, you know, two thousand and seventeen model, they'll be like, oh, that's awesome, man, well done, you deserve that. If you rock up in a, a Ferrari. You know, the the same person's going to be like, what the fuck? Like, how to, you know, that's bullshit. How can that guy get that? You know, people want to see you do, succeed, but they don't want to see you do too well. And I think once, as soon as there was an alternative option with these markets and with these festivals, Big Day Out was the first one to kind of drop off, drop off the hill, drop off the cliff. Yeah, it's, um, just on a side thing, I just, well, before I get going, And just on that, like, you know, people want to see you do well, but not too well. I always felt like growing up, you know, they say, like, you are your most artistic at a young age. You know, when you grow up and you are, you know, you got this massive imagination and you've got, you've like, you know, you'll, you'll get an action figure and you'll just play by yourself and like, you know, the world is your oyster kind of thing. And then somewhere along the line, as you get older, whether that's in primary school or high school it kind of gets stamped out of you and it's kind of like you're not allowed to have imagination. You know, um it was something that and you look at it and you go people who hang on to that sometimes can be the most successful. Like you look at I think a lot of music artists and a lot of people who have really done a lot in that kind of industry and I reckon most of them probably hung on to their imagination. If you look at guys like you know and even guys that used to be terrible, a guy like Ed Sheeran who if you've heard his When he sings as a 16 year old, he's awful, but he kept on to that and he kept on to that fire and that dream. And imagination doesn't just mean like, you know, what the wacky things you can think of, but it means like your imagination of what kind of goals you can set yourself and what kind of aspirations you have. Cause that gets stamped out of you too. You get to a certain age and, you know, the the dream of being a, a rock star or an astronaut or a sportsman, yeah, it just kind of. It's like, oh, it's not going to come easy. Uh, well, okay, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to settle with being a plumber. And it's just like, okay, well, I, you know, if you're happy to do that, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, and like, but now you look at it and, yo, know, uh, toys and action figures and all this that I remember me having, and I know a lot of people I know would have had, have now turned into like iPhones and they've turned into like these electronics, which, you know, it doesn't give you that platform to be, to use your imagination, doesn't give you that kind of that chance to play around with you, like you know, play, play around with yourself. I'm gonna say that, <laughs> yeah, and just play and just kind of you know, kind of let the world be your oyster. Let let your imagination take you to wherever it wants to take you. You know, people now just want to play on their iPhones and play um, Angry Birds or. I don't even know what kids play those days. But you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's all changed. It's Everything's changed in that. And it could stifle a lot of things. It could stifle a, I guess, a new generation of, you know, people who think they're ima- having an imagination, think they're very creative. But, you know, playing video games and that, while there is a huge industry for that, if you're not, like, there's a very small percentage that can actually get that far. And, you know, you, you kind of, you know, you're you're letting you're setting yourself up to fail in that sense. Yeah, back onto the markets, I guess, to the festival markets because I feel like yo, know, it does kind of tie in a little bit. And you know, I look at another festival like Future Music. Future Music was a um, was like a little I had a little bit of a soft spot for Future. To be honest, I went to two of them. Went to 2012 and the last one, 2015. I really enjoyed 2015. I thought it was fantastic. Had some really good acts. Um, you know... This was, a, uh, this was a festival that ended up was a combination of poor ticket sales, again, because of a fickle Australian market. You know, a lot of this has to do with one particular lineup. And I'll get into that a bit later. But it, basically, there was one lineup that really hurt the rest. And it really hurt kind of the future of music festivals kind of had to change to a company for that. And, you know, you'll notice with all these festivals I talk about, they're all one-day festivals. Although a couple try to branch out to two days, but that doesn't work too well. So that's a huge reason why things have kind of t- kind of turns tips up for them. You know, f- uh, future sales weren't right. And same kind of thing with Big Day Out. It was very difficult to take a traveling festival around the country. You know, like, especially you look at a state like Perth, and Perth was just a, um, it's just such an expensive place to go to. If you don't know, like, you know, um, bands now don't want to tour the uh the West Coast. They don't want to tour. They barely tour Adelaide now. Adelaide's now kind of a niche place that, you know, the occasional band will tour. And you'll very rarely see bands tour Perth. And that's because it's so expensive. Flights are always so expensive to get there. It, the combination's the same kind of deal. It's very, very difficult. And for, a you know, a festival organiser, you look at, you might as well just put a fucking black mark through Perth at the moment because until everything kind of changes and the cost of living over there becomes a bit cheaper and the cost of getting there becomes a bit cheaper. It's never going to get better. Yeah, um, and then you look at, you know, so Future kind of died in the ass that way, had some good lineups, had some good times and that. Yeah, a lot of it was to do with the, um, the culture there. And it's funny now that like we look back at, you know, Future and soon I'll talk about Stereo, but they had this huge drug culture to them. And it was like, really looked down on, and it was kind of like, you know, it's ruining the festivals and a bunch of juice heads going there and, uh, you know, they work their, sh- uh, their shirts off and all that jazz. That being said, and like, that's all fine and dandy, but yeah, it wasn't like the reason why a lot of that failed is because these juice heads and these like these guys who are on fingers weren't going for any sort of music. And that was really the only reason you would go to these festivals to get either get fucking baked, like cooked off your head or for the music. Or a combination of the both. And, you know, that happened with Soundwave and that happened with Big Day Out. Like, the identity of these festivals kind of got lost. And then, you know, you look at it now and you look back and it's funny you see all these festivals now and, like, drugs are just riddled in it. You look at, like, the Earth Cause and, like, these kind of bush-doof kind of festivals that have, you know, these this alternative festivals for people. It's kind of like a, n- a little bit of a niche that get a lot of people going to them. And, you know, apparently it's a lot of fun. Apparently it's a good time. So that's a, of, like, you know, that's a cool alternative, but you look at that and you go like, it's, it's so much worse there. It's so much more common knowledge for that to have drugs there rather than, you know, Future in that. Yeah. Um. So, you know, Future died back after 2015. That was a tough, you know, that was a bit of a tough loss. And yeah, you know, I guess, you know, another warning sign for the, you know, the future of these next two kind of markets. Because then you came to the big ones. You know, Stereo Sonic was the big dance festival, was the big EDM festival, and was, you know, the most known for the, its drug habits and everything like that. Yeah, you know, uh, Stereo got bought out. I uh, can't remember what year, but they got bought out for, I think it was 2013, got bought out for $75 million. by I think it was F, uh, SFX was the other company that bought them out. Uh, I, I think it was like a year or two later, they filed for bankruptcy and they're $500 million in debt. It's a lot of money to be in debt, man. And um, yeah, they said they would actually come out and say that that had no part in Stereo being cancelled, which I thought was um, questionable. I'll, I'll just say that. Uh, you know, it was. You looked at it and you saw that people weren't really people weren't as interested. The EDM market in Australia is very hit and miss right now. It's not as prevalent as it used to be you know it really peaked a few years ago it really did yeah you, know, you saw that people would you know they' will kind of they would be the go-to festivals for a lot of people they would just kind of go to those they wouldn't worry about the uh, alternatives they wouldn't worry about the rock festivals but then it all changed it all it all kind of progressed and unfortunately stereo because it was catered to the one audience you couldn't it couldn't be sustained as soon as that kind of trend as soon as that yeah, it was. I wouldn't call it a niche because so many people went to it, but as soon as it kind of dipped in popularity, it was always going to die. And then Stereo did something that Soundwave did and it failed drama- uh, drastically for both, is it tried to go two days. Uh, and that was the end of it, man. That was, as soon as it tried to do that, it died and it couldn't, couldn't sustain itself. Yeah, it was, two-day festivals are fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You see a lot of festivals now that do it. But the problem is they weren't camping. They weren't camping festivals and that's half the fun. You know, people, a lot of these festivals didn't realize that a lot of people just went to talk shit around the campfire. And that was, and that's fine. That was a fantastic reason to go. You just drink piss and have fun around the campfire with your mates. And it was just, it was a lot of fun, these kind of festivals. But when you're saying, oh, we're going to have a two-day festival, but you have to travel to wherever you're going, you know, I, so if in my case, I'd have to travel an hour, then you know, be there from midday to you know eleven at night. Come back at one at my place, like back to my place, unless I want to you know uh, be in a room for the night in the city. But you know, I don't want to pay money for that. I've already paid enough money for the ticket. And then you know, wake up the next morning, do the same thing again with sore legs and that. It's yeah, you know, it's very easy to turn people off. Uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get into Soundwave because Soundwave is probably the the bulk of this one. Um, uh, yeah, it's a very. It's just got a big backstory to it. Yeah. Um. But before we do, I just want to. I want to have a break, but just before I have a break, um. You know, something that the stereos and the futures didn't really pick up on until it was too late was that. You know, there was a real rise in kind of rap music and rap music and this kind of, these I guess, you know, subgenres of rap were kind of you know brewing up, and they were getting they were very very popular, and you know like future tried to capitalize. They got guys like Drake to um, perform the last one that they did, but it was almost like you know you needed some kind of big rap kind of contingency. And you look at something like, and I'm going to sound like a big old um, culture vulture here, but I looked at something like Coachella that I went to this year, and it was something that had you know rap was probably its most represented. In any of their lineups, because they know now, like now, like rap is so like such a mainstay in music, and it's kind of funny because rap still gets looked down on in music; it's still considered a lower form of music. Yeah, you know, I've said this in uni a couple of times, but and someone in my uni told, uh, was kind of saying this guy named Dram, um, and he was saying that you know, Dram is considered a rapper, even though that he's you know he's basically like a, a I think it's like a funk or a, like a soul kind of musician. And it was because he's black, and that's simple. That was not—it's not a race thing, but it was just that. That's the—that's why they would uh, categorize him as a rapper because of the way he dressed and because of the way he looked. Because yeah, it's—it's it's very wrong to say, but yeah, you know, a lot of people will just look at somebody like Dram, and will say rapper, and that's it. And, that, and from there on, he'll be considered a rapper, and that's just how. You know the I guess the higher ups. Kind of see it, yeah, and also because you don't want to consider someone named Dramp, somebody who dresses like that and looks the way he does, as a soul artist or a funk artist. I can't remember what exact um genre he said he actually was. I think it might have been those two, but because they are a higher class, whereas you look at rappers and that, and rappers still today, even though it is so fucking popular and it is one of the most pop it's probably the most pro- popular genre as kanye west said rap is the new rock and roll rap has been the new rock and roll for a long time or as he said a minute it's been like that for a long time yo know, rap is now culture of rap isn't now- it and it always has been but now more never yo know, people get on you know have clothing brands they have shoes they you know had the Yeezys and everything like that there are so many elements and you see people like yo know, from kanye to kendrick to travis scott And it's just so like the list goes on, Tyler, the creator, you got, uh, you know, doing shoes and it just goes on, Um, Pharrell, Pharrell has his own shoe and it's now become such a fashion thing and people want to dress and want to like, you know, appear to look like these rappers now. Whereas back in the day, you know, you look back maybe, I would say, you know, 10 years, maybe even 10 years ago, not only even 10 years ago, it wasn't like that. You know, people knew it wasn't so much like that. It was more the pop stars and it was more just like fashion was fashion, but rap is now fashion. Rap has now become, has kind of bridged that gap and has kind of jumped that bridge. Bridge that gap, jumped that bridge. That's a fucking good set of words, Nick. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's closed that gap. It's created something new. And that has really happened in probably this decade it really started to come in and now it's really hitting a peak right now but back then especially with the future like future and big day out they never saw that they didn't capitalize on that when they had a chance because it was really coming up then and australia while we are very as i said before a very fickle audience if you put a few hot artists like a, a big kind of peaking artists in a festival like big day Out a festival like future people will come People will come to these show, these festivals because they want to see these acts, they want to see the hot new thing, and see them perform. It was a uh, it was something that a lot of festivals lost, and they had the chance to get to, and you know when they did get rap acts, a lot of them they got were, you know people who were past it and people who weren't as you know popular now. I remember someone asked me recently, and they said, you know this was probably two three months ago, and they said Nick. If you were to put on a festival, who would be, who would be your headliner? Headliners, sorry, if you had a two-day festival, they said. And I said, I would get The Weeknd for one, and I'd get Migos for, an, for the other. Not because I necessarily liked those artists, because I knew that there was a huge demand. In the next month, That I'm not kidding, I'm not just making this up, next month, both of those artists announced their tours. And they're, now they're touring. The Weeknd sold out Rod Laver twice. Migos, I can't remember. I don't know how they're going for... T- um, the tours, but they're a hot new product and they would, especially for a festival, they are a reason why people buy tickets. You know, it's not always about, you know, it's not always about getting all your favorite artists on a festival bill. It's Sometimes it's about, you know, getting those ones like, oh, you know, actually I wouldn't mind seeing them because, you know, there's these acts that you will see but you wouldn't pay money for. And I'm guilty of this because, you know, this, how many times have I been to a festival and I'm like, ah oh, yeah, you know, I'll see them just because they're on the festival. But if they, you know, if they did a solo show, I would not pay to see them simple that's just how it works it's how the that's how the brain works um, but anyway I kind of went a bit longer but so I guess they had the chance they let it go and you know now there is such a big market now more never for this kind of rap RMB kind of festival that could come up in Australia there's still nothing like that you know Splendor has a huge array of acts and that's something. that's one of the many things that Splendour does right because you can you can suck people in because a lot of the reason I don't know how much a Splendour ticket is to be honest but a lot of it probably about half the price and half the reason why people want to go is because of the camping aspect and because they want to just have fun with their mates and just talk shit and get fucked up or whatever and then you see then you see like one rapper that you really like one rock act that you really like and because people's Taste in music is so varied now. We have the most versatile, um, you know, uh, kind of collection in our iPhones. We um, today more than ever, we have this kind of ability to enjoy all sorts of ty- all types of music, and that's because we've got so much access to it. We got so many videos on Facebook. We got so many ac- you know, on YouTube. Um, uh, you know, there's just so much to it. There's so many aspects to it, and that doesn't mean it's better or worse. Like it is, some people would say it's quantity over quality, but it is something that you know it isn't now like gone to the days of the one genre festivals. In my opinion, I feel like there's just so much music out there, and there's so many ideas, and there's so many like things that they can do, ways that they can capitalize, and kind of cross genre stuff that they can do. That it'd be stupid just to put out a festival that is just this, just metal or just dance or just, you know, whatever. Anyway, I'm gonna come back. I'm going to fill up my water, and I'm, we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about the, I guess, the story of Soundwave. Oh, this is going to be fun. Um, This is a lo- lovely little story. Uh, The only thing you really know is a guy named AJ Matter is a guy who kind of ran it. Um, it's the only real backstory you need to know before I kind of get into this. Um, you know, Soundwave was a festival that started in Perth, and it was a Perth exclusive festival. It soon started to expand, became, you know, they started bringing in other cities, and then soon it became, you know, all the major states. It became kind of a five-state thing. It was... huge. It really, it's gained a lot of popularity throughout the years. It started getting acts like The Offspring were one of the first big acts. Deftone to one of the first big acts. They started getting uh, like Bloodhound Gang, uh, AFI, uh, Paramore, Nine Inch Nails, yeah, like Panic! Disco, just a lot of pretty decent sized acts, really. And then 2011 happened. 2011 kind of was the big kind of year for them because they got Iron Maiden. Huge act. again, Again, this was an old act, and kind of goes back to a lot of the, the festivals previous. But this was an act that had a huge demand to them, so it sold really well. I remember Melbourne selling out, which is big, which is really, really big. Uh, uh, you know, there was a lot of cool other acts too: Avenged Sevenfold, for My Valentine, Slayer, um, Social Distortion, you know, etc. So this was a really, um, this was a really big time for Soundwave. AJ tried to capitalise that on that. He um, he tried to launch like what he, I guess I call a side festival. He called it Soundwave Revolution. It supposed to happen I think around October um, of that year, of the 2011. Whatever happened to that, first of all, that was one of the first big cracks in the market, and this is the first big cracks in kind of the Soundwave formula. It was a bit more of overreaching. Yeah, he saw that he was doing well. He was being a bit more successful than what he, he had imagined. So he decided to put on a secondary festival. And the original lineup came out and it was pretty good. It had, it had like, a lot of older acts again, but it had some newer ones. It had you know, Van Halen, had Alice Cooper were kind of the main ones. But he also said that there was two headliners, a second and third headliner that hadn't been announced. So everyone was kind of really excited to see what those, who those two acts were going to be. A lot of speculation and everything like that happened. Later on, he announced that those two had pulled out. Oh, one of them pulled out. Sorry, and because of that, he axed the festival. He just he said, "No, nope, the festival will not be going ahead." He said that he could have ran it, and it was selling. You know, would have sold really well. But he said he didn't want to bring a subpar festival, which was really weird because he would have made money off it if he if it had gone ahead. The rumor saying that one of the headline acts were going to be uh, Rage Against the Machine, which was you always going to be a tough act, you know, because they're, they're an act that everybody wants but nobody can have kind of thing. And that being said, they would have headlined if they were, if it was going to be there. But, and some people were saying bands like Limp Bizkit, Aerosmith were kind of other names that were getting chucked into, into the mix. You know, this hurt a lot. This hurt a lot of fans because people had booked flights. You know, people had booked flights over because this wasn't everywhere in the world. This um, People booked flights to kind of do this, come over, spend the day or the two days and go home and a lot of people were tweeting at him going you know we paid all this money like and you've all of a sudden cancelled it like how we can't get refunds like what are you gonna do about it aj did nothing really he didn't do enough yeah aj was a bit of a character on twitter as well and yeah that hurt a lot of 2012 sales 2012 was a fantastic lineup um but it was hurt by a lot of soundwave revolution stuff a lot of people didn't want to go because they just it was almost like, in spite of it, it was just like, you know, what this guy's not treating us like, you know, real people. Um, it, you know, it was a tough, it was a tough deal. It was a great year, but and um, it sold, still sold pretty well. Didn't sell out, but we move on to the big year, and this is the year that really, like, 2013 as a whole, really um, was, in my opinion, the biggest downfall of Soundwave. I think that this year was the reason why Soundwave failed and why a lot of other festivals around it failed. The 2013 Soundwave lineup came out and it was massive. And like, I'm talking like the biggest rock metal festival lineup that has been ever in Australia by a fucking mile. This was huge. It had, it had Metallica, Linkin Park and Blink-182 as the three headliners. Yeah. You know, it had, it actually like, you know, the offspring had Paramore. It had, it had, uh, Slayer, it had social distortion. It had Caius. It had Billy Talent. It had it. It had everyone. This this year had so many acts. I think a couple of those acts I might have said weren't even on that year, but it was such a huge year for the sound wave, and it was so far beyond anything they had done, and unfortunately, it was so far beyond anything that they would later do. This really hurt the market because. As I've said a couple of times already, Australian music fans are very fickle and because of this, they saw this lineup and thought, holy shit, this is the best thing ever. I've got 10 acts that I want to see you know people that you would never th- uh, never think to see a sound wave would be coming to this because they saw they saw um, blink 182 they saw the offspring and they saw Paramore on this lineup and they're like, well, this is you know this is my kind of scene like this is really cool Cypress Hill fucking played. Yeah, that's how good they were going. Yeah, and so this all happened, and it, it sold out basically. This this festival sold out huge, and it was a massive thing. And yeah, it was it was a big big deal. Yeah, again, it hurt. It really hurt. Um, AJ, he made fourteen million dollar profit. He turned over fourteen million dollars for that festival, so he made a huge huge profit. Happy with that, and he decided to invest that and he started investing into warp tour. He start he bought into Big Day Out and Harvest Festival. Yo, know, through those three festivals alone he lost 30 million. So he lost you no know, more than double than what he got that year. At a at a rate of 800,000 per month. So it's huge, huge money you're losing here. Yo, know, Warp Tour ended up being a failure. It was almost it was destined to fail, unfortunately. You know, the whole idea of Warp Tour is that you go to these weird locations and these are really small events and, but AJ being AJ kind of decided, oh, well, we're just going to put it in the city. You know, they had a couple of rural ones. They had one in Canberra, but apparently that only sold about 4,000 tickets, which is minuscule. It's supposed to be about 10,000 capacity. You know, um, the lineup wasn't too crash hot, unfortunately. Um, It had repeats from that Soundwave. It had the Osprey who played that Soundwave that year. Um. It was yeah. You know, it it was destined to fail. Unfortunately, this is not a a traveling festival like Warp Tour it was just never gonna succeed in the climate right now, and especially with the lineup that came out, it was never gonna be good. Like because people were expecting something on the scale of 2013 Soundwave when Warp came out. So when they come out and when it comes out and you know the headline act is you know the, in the third line of Soundwave 13's lineup, you go well you know it's not that interesting to go to, is it? Yeah, um, people went to it. It was good. I went to it. It was a lot of fun. But it was never going to last. You knew that. As soon as you got there, you knew just the setup and everything about it. It just didn't have that vibe of, you know, this is going to be around for a long time. And that was the only year it happened. That that failed. Big day out, he, he jumped in on that. And, yeah, that lasted for one more big day out. And that died. That died. He brought back Harvest Festival. That died. You know, AJ was, unfortunately, was very, very keen on signing older acts as i said before he was he was somebody who enjoyed um, acts and you know some can get away with it you know you get metallica you get blink-182 you get linkin park they're going to sell tickets even though they're older acts but if you get an act like i'll say um, you get an act like the osprey or you get an act like soundgarden unfortunately these acts aren't going to turn over as many tickets because one, a band like The Offspring isn't that popular. And a band like Soundgarden's, their their natural, their standard age of being a fan would be well over 30 now. So it doesn't help. That didn't help the cause. This really, this lineup, this 2013 Soundwave didn't just hurt Soundwave itself. It hurt every other market there was. Big Day Out, it's no coincidence to me that Big Day Out died the next year because it all came out. You know, 2013 didn't sell well for Big Day Out. It wasn't a it wasn't a great lineup. I thought 2014's lineup was actually quite good. I really enjoyed that year. But it was you knew, and you're there, and it was just something like you could rock up to a stage five minutes before the band came on and go straight to the front row. And it was just you couldn't get that at Soundwave because Soundwave was such a big, big deal now. And yeah, it was no coincidence that that died. It, it, people swore that Soundwave was such a huge lineup and thought, why can't Big Day Out do this? As soon as Big Day released their lineup and they didn't see 10 acts instantly that they wanted to go attend to, they thought, no, well, what's the point? We're not going to go to this. There's no reason. And, you know, you can say what you want about that, you know. So he made 14 mil, lost 30 in the three three ones that he invested in uh, and bought into, sorry. And then we move on to the next year. 2014 came around. And um it didn't sell well. It did like it didn't sell as well as what it wanted they wanted it to. He came out and, you know, AJ was somebody who was a very um he very much liked to kind of use Twitter as a platform for him to kind of leak information or, you know, give hints to people. And in the positive side of things, that was a really fun thing to do. I remember I made a Twitter account just so I could tweet at him and hopefully yeah a clue into who would be playing at the next big festival. And that was fun. That was actually the fun side of it. But unfortunately that the bad, the downside of it was that AJ was somebody who would put down people and would put down bands and would jump to conclusions without really knowing the story. He was very impulsive in his, in what he would say. I remember one band came out and they, they must've said to him like, cause you know, when you, when you book a festival bands can have a say of when they want to play you know, like the, the headline acts if a headline act wants to play at you know be the last band to play then that's fine like that's probably pretty standard if an act that's pretty big I'll, I'll give you an example 2015s um smashing pumpkins were about second or f- I think they second or third on the bill for that the day that they played and they they asked AJ if they could um, you know, close out a stage and AJ said yeah that's fine but you know you're going to be c- competing with Soundgarden they said yeah, yeah that's fine no worries and that was yeah you know. and so they did that so that was the um that was the other side of it but then you saw something like a band I can't remember the actual name but they weren't a big band and they wanted to play at nighttime. and I remember AJ tweeting about it and saying basically telling everybody who followed him that Whatever so and so band want to play at this time, they should they they will play whatever the fuck I tell them to because they're not big enough to make demands. And you know that really um that put a rift between a lot of bands and AJ. A lot of bands didn't want to go on Soundwave after him saying that because it was just like you know what, like he's just treat like he treats these smaller bands like nothing. And like to put that on Twitter is a like it's just it's massive. It's like you know it's like if you if something happened in a relationship and you you post it on Facebook like it's not the right way to go about things so he did that it hurt It put a rift between people 2014 happens you know he. i remember him tweeting and he said this if soundwave 2013 was a 10 out of 10 lineup this would be about a seven or eight and 2014 came out It was a really good lineup i really enjoyed it i went to it it was one of my favorites i actually enjoyed it more than 2013 because there's a few there's less people and i just like the setup a bit better but it didn't sell as well, you know. Green Day weren't the act, weren't Metallica. Green Day weren't Blink One Eighty Two, even really. Like I'm, yeah, you know, they just don't sell as well because Green Day came down a lot more than Blink One Eighty Two. There was a lot of demand for those bands in two thousand thirteen. So that year happens, and then something, and then, you know, another festival comes in, and it hurts. It it puts a real big dent at the sound wave. And that's Unify. Unify was this alternative, this heavy, heavy music festival. They called it a heavy music gathering where all these hardcore bands and that would play in one location in like, you know, this kind of bumfuck nowhere town and they would play for, you know, and it would be a two day festival. You camp out, it's BYO. It was this really, really cool festival. And it took a lot of bands from Soundwave. It took a lot of bands because that debuted early 2015. Soundwave in 2015 was about three weeks after. And if you, when that kind of came out, and when the lineup came for Soundwave, you realized that there weren't many heavy, like hardcore acts, because that was Unify took them all. You had the occasional one. You had, I think it was like Crosswave. You had Confession. And I think that might've been it. I'm just trying to remember. Might've had that many, I can't remember. But there was just this, it created another rift between it and it took a bit, Unify definitely took a lot of um, Soundway's market and because 2014, for anyone who went would remember that there was a double stage dedicated to hardcore bands and it was just, you know, it would be, one would play, one stage would play a hardcore band, the other one would just go back and forth, back and forth all day and there'd be a lot of people who just stay there the whole day because why not? Why wouldn't you? Like, if you're enjoying that kind of music, that's that was your heaven for the day, really. 2015 comes out and there's just nothing there. The other thing that AJ does is that he turned it into a two-day festival, much like Stereosonic did. And Stereo got the idea from Soundwave, which is funny because he mustn't have told them that it was a real massive failure. This really hurt because, you know, people would look at it and, again, you looked at the lineup and you saw that there was a lot of older acts on there. There was acts like Soundgarden, Smashing Pumpkins, Marilyn Manson. You know, Slipknot would now be coming an older act. It what Faith No More played and... These bands that were all of a sudden, you know, were once like you know, the absolute best bands to get on a festival weren't, weren't that anymore. You know, you split them across over two days as well. Like you could, it wasn't camping. It was, again, it was the same thing I said before. You go home, you come back the next day. That made it very difficult for a lot of people. Tickets were another thing. Like a lot of people didn't like spending a shitload of money for, be- for festivals. And that's understandable. If the lineup's not for you, why would you fork out $200 for two days? Yeah, they had one day festival tickets and they're like hundred and fifty dollars, and I'm pretty sure two day tic- a two day ticket was like two hundred. And like, you know, I understand the the logic that there. there's a definite logic there, but you know, people didn't want to do that. People, yeah, and for most people, you saw like Soundgarden and you saw Smash him Pumpkins and that, their audience is older. People don't want to go to a festival. People don't want to spend two days just to see three va- three bands. You know, they can't handle it. You know, this is peak season. This is summertime. This is, it's very fucking hot. And you expect a band, you know, these guys that, you know, have kids and have families and that, and they, you think that they're going to come out and spend two days in the hot sun just to see a couple of nostalgia acts? Like, no, it's not worth it to them. And then another thing that really hurt them was that they started giving these um, like headlining bands sideshows killed the market it really this really hurt ticket sales because when an act like soundguard and an act like smashing pumpkins are playing a sideshow, then you go every all those fans go well why the fuck would i go to the festival when i can just buy a ticket to that, those shows by by themselves and you get you get a bigger set time you get a better production you get better sound because the festival sound you don't you don't have to wait in line you don't have to wait three hours before just to get a good spot there was just a lot of things that stacked up here and it was in 2013, you know, it was different because the lineup was so big. 2014 came around. Green—they they let Green Day. They didn't play a side show because they were the headline act. they was supposed to be the big draw, and that was a smart thing to do. Why would you let your headline act if you can, if you can not afford it? Why can you? Why would you do that? Why would you let them play side shows? Because it's just going to take more ticket sales away from the festival itself. Mm. Yeah. So. It just there was just things stacking on top of each other. Also, something I did forget, in 2014, they announced that Perf would not be coming back. Perf died in 2014 Soundwave. Too expensive, not enough ticket sales. And yo, know, that was it. It was just that died. Yo, know, Soundwave used to be this festival that bands would like they'd be, you know, it would be put up in lights. It was up there with the best festivals in the world, according to bands, because you would come to Australia. And over you know, a two, two-week period, two and a half week period, you would play five festivals. And then if you wanted to play sideshows, you could play sideshows, especially for these smaller bands, you could do that. And it was a holiday because the weather was beautiful and you go there, you go surfing, like there was you know, a lot of time between festivals that you didn't have to like, it wasn't a massive rush. Once it once 2014 finished, that was the last year of that, because they got rid of Perth and all of a sudden they became they brought it into a two-day festival in 2015. It, they booked in and they said Brisbane and Sydney are going to be together and Adelaide and Melbourne are going to be together. It happened over two weekends. And it was a simple fact of, you know, one day... So day one's lineup would play Sydney. And on the same day, day two's lineup would play on Brisbane. And then they'd swap. And then they'd travel over and you'd swap. You'd get... And then five days... You'd get five days of doing whatever. And then you'd do the same thing. It wasn't as appealing to bands anymore because you didn't have that thing of going around to every city and going, okay, like, you know, we're going to have, we're going to see the sites. we're going to go to the zoos and, you know, whatever the fuck tourists do. They didn't have that because it was just like, you know, one day you play there next you get straight onto a plane, off to the next place, play there. Then you have five days to do whatever you want. You might, but you might have three sideshows put into that. So you kind of, it, you're not being, you're not going where you want to go in that sense. So it just, there was so many things that stacked up onto each other and it was, you know, you can look back and now, you know, hindsight's a beautiful thing because, I, you know, I look back on it now and there's just so many things that you see and you go, that hurt, that hurt, that hurt, that hurt. And it wasn't it wasn't until the lineup for 2016 came up that it re- you really realized that it was all over. It, was def- it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, you know, I remember I couldn't even go to 16- 2016's lineup because I was going to be in Europe at the time. I remember the lineup coming out and, you know, Every lineup for Soundwave would have like 70 to 80 acts usually. Huge, man. For a one-day festival, that's massive. Over like, some years would have like 14 stages or some shit. Like, it's like mind-blowing how much that would be. Like, so 2016 comes out, it's about 30 acts. Again, like off the bat, people are just not even going to look at the lineup because they're so used to seeing so many acts and their expectation is still on the level of 2013's lineup. Yo, know, because of that lineup, I Big Day Out dies. Yo, know, this is a this was a um, the lineup which just wasn't that great. It wasn't up to it. As soon as that lineup came out, I remember somebody commenting saying, "This will not go ahead." And I remember laughing. I was just like, "Oh, come on, mate! Like, I know you don't like the lineup, but you don't don't get too much." And then a few months later, it got cancelled, and then Samway died. There was um, there's so many things that kind of came up, um you came up afterwards about why it got why it cancelled and so many things. You know, one of them was poor ticket sales. It really it did not sell well at all. Um, a lot of it was to do with um, I remember towards the end, just like about a few days before it kinda of got cancelled, a couple of the venues came out and said, You haven't like we haven't even been booked for those days. Like imagine that. Imagine having a festival and you've you've got it and you've released this poster and you've gone, Oh, we're gonna be at the Melbourne Showgrounds or Flemington. I can't remember which one that would have been and then the, the line, and then the um the venue going, well we actually haven't been booked for that, so I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about. Yeah, he owed about fifteen million dollars to Axe from the previous year, from twenty fifteen. And like this range this range from like yeah, on the top end of it, Soundgarden was owed two point one million dollars. Because Yo, know, one of the one thing and on that, one of the things that AJ would always say is like, yo, I wouldn't get I'm not gonna get Soundgarden because they cost a million dollars a show. I remember him saying that before that lineup came out and then SoundGarden were on it. Again, you know, this is he backtracks, he was very you know, he kind of um he didn't know when to keep his mouth shut online because he you know it became it became obvious that this guy just didn't know what he was doing as much as what we all thought he did. Yeah, he uh, and like from one scale, of two point one million. Soundgarden, you looked on the other side of it, and it was, yo, um, a band, Melbourne band, Nail Nail Bonscaras, was only owed five point seven k. But five point seven thousand dollars is a lot more to them than two point one is million is to Soundgarden, because this is an up and coming band. That's a huge. That's a lot of money, and for them not to be paid for that is huge. I remember Monuments, a band, another band, launched an SOS campaign, like a crowd a crowdfund, because of all the losses that they got. They were owed about twenty thousand dollars. And they basically came out and said, Well, unfortunately, you know, this we're not the biggest band in the world. We can't do like we can't go ahead doing this because of that. Yeah, you know, we can't go ahead and we can't just like, you know, shake it off and be like, Oh, it's just twenty thousand dollars. That means something to us. We are a traveling to a band. We don't make a hell of a lot of money. So they had to put out a fucking funding because of the, the funds and the money that AJ had not paid them. Yeah. And then it all became like a really, um, it came like a, you know, a, blame, a bit of a blame game, really. Your yeah, AJ started blaming the ticketing company and started saying that, you know, it was a ticketing, it was a ticketing company's fault. Um, you know, when somebody would say, is the festival cancelled? They'd be like, ask, I can't remember what ticketing company, I think it's like Tech or something like that, but ask the ticketing company and they'll, they'll tell you. And it'd be like, well, no, we get, we get instruction from you. <laughs> That's what they'd say. And like, it was just like, AJ was just trying to, I guess, put the blame on everyone else. And like, it was unfortunate because he comes out after and he would always say like, yeah, I just couldn't handle the people. And like, it was just so much scrutiny. And I will keep coming back to it. 2013 killed the festival. There was no way after that 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 festival was going to be sustained because of why, because of the reason of that, that was never going to be topped. That was just this pinnacle year. That was the absolute best possible lineup you could ever get in Australia for that kind of genre. And after that, everyone wanted the same thing. Every year they want to line up that big. Like, Soundwave was never going to be as big as Download. Soundwave, again, was a one-day festival for the most part until the last year it actually happened. And because of that, it already limits itself because a lot of people don't really have that much appeal to a one-day festival. It's not much fun. And, like, again, uh, there's so many other things, like location. Something that, you know, the New Age festivals have done so well is that they go out into these rural places and they go out to, like, they go away from the big cities because everybody knows they can go to the big cities, like, there's no fun in going into Melbourne to see a festival because it's just like, well, you're in the city. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, that's why you look at a festival like Groove in the Moo who goes out in Bendigo. It's perfect because you can go out, you can drive out, stay there the weekend, go to the festival and just have a great time. You know, they've had these Splendor on the Grass being a one-time thing over at Byron is such a fantastic idea because it's in this kind of hipster touristy town and for that one weekend, it just gets taken over. And it's a fantastic thing. It's just happened this weekend. And all the pictures look like the best time ever. I'm probably going to go next year because I haven't been to one yet. You know, same with, and again, culture vulture here. Like Coachella is out in the California desert about two hours out because you don't want to do it. You don't have the space and you there's just more things you can do out when you're by yourself. And it's just a cool thing to go out to the rural areas. It's, cool. it's a cool thing to go out into the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah, it's... No, it was just so, and Unify, same thing, bumfuck nowhere, and it has the camping element to it. The camping element meant so much to the market, and AJ never got that. AJ never realized that, you know, a lot of this is to do with what, you know, what is surrounding the music. Again, Soundwave had no identity. If the lineup wasn't good enough, people would not go. Simple. There's no reason for people to go if the lineup doesn't cater to them. And after 2013, people started going, oh, there's not 10 acts on the lineup that I instantly want to see because no one wants to research acts. That was something that I always did. I remember looking at Soundwave and I remember like after every lineup would come out and I would like every band, I would just like look up one song. Do I like them? Nah, don't worry about them. Well, Every single band. There'd be 80 acts on the lineup. I wouldn't know 60 of them. And I'd look up every fucking band just because. Yeah. And it was just, that was half the fun. Like that was for me, yeah, the amount of bands that I discovered because of Soundwave was huge. Like I loved it, man. It was so much fun, but it never, but that, I knew that I was in the minority there. I knew that I wasn't the only, per, I was one of the only people who would do that because most people, especially if they're older, the older you get, the less you want to give a fuck about these smaller bands because you don't, you're not growing up with them. You don't really care about them. You, you're not really interested in listening to m- new music. And that's fine. That's just the way, that's the way at the times. Yeah, oh, got a bit. I got a bit away from me then, <laughs> but like there was just so many things that got out to it, and I remember uh, I, I'm gonna. Re- so something that happened was matter. He would keep on. Um, he would keep on. Basically, uh, he had a lot of other companies set up by him, so he would set up a new company every time he would go into massive debt, basically. Yeah, and at the end of it, when he um, they had an end result for it, and he had like yo. End result was that the creditors somehow agreed to terms that would see Matter payback back uh, four point three two million, which is only twenty five percent of the over sixteen million owed. Right? The deal specifies that the funds would be raised by selling off one of his companies, which um, yeah, which was like I think he sold for like six six hundred thou. In addition, the creditors take fifty percent of the net, net profits of Sandwave sixteen, but that never happened, and then the, and it would still it would still leave him with three point seven million owed. So it ended up coming out and you looked at it and you go, the creditors getting a mere they got a mere three cents on the dollar in the form of the $600,000 raised. It's, it was just this real huge fuck about and, you know, in a lot of ways, so much good has come out of it because now you have these festivals that know what to do and not, uh, not what, uh, fucking what not to do. There we go you, know, you had these festivals coming out like Splendor, Grooved, uh, Earthcore, Rainbow. They all know what they they know what they're doing. They know not what to do. Listen out. They, Listen out. a really good festival because it's really small. It's in a nice a nice area, especially in Melbourne. It's in St. Kilda. It's a really nice place to go to. Good time of the year to do it. It's just there's so many things that go into it, and it, you know even like you look at something like Listen Out, and you go, who's headlining? Future, perfect act because he he hasn't been to I don't can remember I don't know if he's ever been to Australia if he hasn't hasn't been for a while he is now one of the biggest things in rap music so he's perfect to get for this lineup yeah this is something that you know you, anyone when you look at any festival you need to realize that a lot of it is to do with the demand of it you know CBDV <laughs> cost billing demand variables and that's what you how you should book any lineup and it's it just felt like when you look back and you go, AJ was somebody who would book a lineup that he liked, but because he's 40 something years old, you know, that, that it would, you know, not everybody's going to like that. And the younger people aren't going to pay money. And at the end of the day, the more, more often than not, younger people are going to be the ones who buy your ticket, buy the tickets. You know, this guy was named like the most influential man in music in Australia or something one year, some kind of title like that. I can't remember the exact title of it. And then like two, three years later, all these festivals have failed or like, you know, like you know, he he killed. He he was one of the reasons Big Day Out died. He killed Warp. He brought back and killed Warp. To a Big Day Out um, Harvest, sorry, died as well because he kept getting older acts. He killed Soundwave, but you know, in the rubble of that, and it, like you know, rising through the ashes and all that bullshit, you know, acts, um, you know, things like Unifying that came up. You know, there is a, there is such a, and I said this before, but right now there is a market that is crying out you know, to kind of build this new kind of festival. And when they do that, and when new festivals are coming through, I guarantee you every one of them look back at these four festivals that I've talked about today, and they go, that's not what, uh, what not to do. I can't fucking say that sentence, I swear to God. Uh, they, they say what not to do, and they especially look at Soundwave, and they especially look at Big Day Out, because those two at one stage were the biggest festival in the country. And same with Stereo. Same with stereo, but stereo was such much more of a niche kind of thing. it was much more of a um it was much more catered to the one audience. Yo, this is um this got away from me a bit. <laughs> I just started I feel like I just started ranting on it a bit. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get up to it now, that's good. But um yo, so I just want to leave it at that. Um, you know, Sandwave was a fantastic festival when it ran. Uh you look back at it now, it did a lot of good. Um you know, but something else that, just before I go, sorry, something that it also killed was a lot of band touring. And when I say that, a lot of bands back in the day, and when I say back in the day, about five, five, ten years ago, didn't want to come to Australia because it costs a lot of money for Americans or um, uh, Brits or Europeans to travel to Australia, obviously. That's why when Australians tour here, they don't cost as much. When you see a band like Parkway or Amity or that, like I remember, you know, Parkway, Played Festival Hall with their tickets for $40. It's like because, and it's because they're from Australia. They don't need to travel. There's no real travel costs there for them. So these bands would jump on these um, soundways and jump on these beat day outs and these kind of tours because it was something that they could jump on. They were guaranteed an audience. They would get paid well. And you know, there was, you didn't have to do a side show if you didn't want to. If you wanted to, you could perfect more people and more people to um, branch out to. And then as soon as, and that, you know, I'll give you some examples. I remember a bull for my Valentine used to tour every two years. And now they, and recently they did tour again, which is good, which is good for them. Um, you know, you look at a band like, uh, let's see, Avenge Sevenfold. I don't think they've toured since 2014 because, and, that, and the last time they toured was Soundwave because Soundwave is such, was such an easy thing just to jump on and you could get your, almost and like it sounds mean to Australians but like you could get your Australian leg of the tour out of the way by jumping on a Soundwave tour simple you look at um i best band and, you know it sounds you know, I'm not trying to be controversial but linkin park was a perfect one linkin park were never as good uh, never not never as good never as big in australia as what people as what they wanted to be you know you saw them they played um soundwave 2013 and they you know, got a really good crowd they played rod labor they didn't sell it out At a side show they played rod labor uh, they didn't. Then they released a new album. I think it was like the next year. And they didn't tour Australia in that t- in that tour cycle. And then they released a new album. And you know up until Chester's death recently, there was no uh, plan or like you know, there was no like future date of Australia in mind. And that kind of sum that sums up a lot of it because these bands and you know who knows if they were going to tour Australia in that cycle. And you know because of that. And you know bands like Slayer and Ben like there's just so many bands that do not want to come to Australia or like will try to put it off or try to come here as minimal as possible now because there isn't the market there now and they're scared to come over because you know one these festivals were something you could jump on two that that's, those festivals are kind of scared it off and they've kind of been like maybe the market isn't as good and because if you're not popular like anyone will tell you you'd rather play you'd rather play a small venue and pack it out than play a large venue and fill it halfway even if you're getting more people in the large venue you know what i mean like that's. and bands didn't know what really their value was and didn't know the demand and you know that's what promoters are for but you know it scared a lot of them off and it still has people a lot of acts do not want to come to australia because they don't know what they're going to get and they don't it just costs so much and the fact is if you come down here and you fail you are in debt you are you're going to lose a lot of money And that's not just the band. That's the touring company. That's the ticketing company. It's promoters. Everything. They're not. It's got to reflect badly on everyone. So it's not just the band, but everyone doesn't want to. You don't want to take a chance on a band that you don't know how they're going to go. Goodness me. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been close to the Sun. I am Nick Brown, Franny Brown from Franny Brown. I am the 14th reason. I am El Dorado, El Dorito, El Diablo, something in that order. We are coming at you tomorrow with the first ever show of a music variety. We are coming at you every Tuesday or Wednesday with close to the Sun. The Total 90 Premier League podcast is on every second Friday. Enjoy yourselves, boys.